Welcome to Almost Here, Round the Corner of Future Technology Podcasts with Richard Jacobs. Future technologies poised to transform our lives for better or worse are the focus of this podcast. Almost Here means these technologies are now here and starting to be used, or just around the corner, from Bitcoin to artificial intelligence, 3D printing, blockchain, virtual reality, and more. Hello, this is Richard Jacobs with uh, Future Tech Podcast. My guest is Gus Fundefeltz. Uh, he's a uh, head of membership at Vertical Dash Farming, the Institute of Vertical Farming. So, um, Gus, people may not know what vertical farming is. So, let's just define that quickly. What is vertical farming? Uh, vertical farming is the, the uh, cultivation of crops in a, in, a, in a fully enclosed environment. So, typically, you need to think about some sort of a, 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 a building that's that's closed. No, no daylight enters into the building. And inside that building, you create a structure where there is multiple levels of racks, which have uh, LED lighting, at least, uh, artificial lighting, uh, a, a very well-controlled climate, and um, uh, and also a um, uh, the crops, of course. So in, in, in that environment, you create a very carefully maintained atmosphere uh, and make sure that the plants grow uh, in the best way possible, allowing you to create a fresher, better and healthier type of uh, crop that than you would otherwise be able to grow. So is vertical farming, I mean, by definition, it's indoors, or are there any instances where you have, um, you know, uh, stacked trays of, of things growing outdoors? It, 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 well, of course, there are there's various hybrids possible, but typically for vertical farming, you would think it's completely growing indoors. So it's, it's, it's fully indoors with a fully controlled climate, and also uh, that allows, for instance, to keep the pests and diseases out, which means that you also don't need to spray, you don't need to use any pesticides. Uh, and also it, it allows for maintaining the best possible climate uh, for the best possible results. So it's a, it's a high-tech way of farming, uh, and it's intended to also address the requirements of a, an urbanizing world, I would say, people living in cities more, where it may not be as easy to get fresh produce from the fields. Well, I would guess that there's trade-offs to it. I mean, traditional farming, you need a lot of land, you know, it's horizontal, uh, it's weather-dependent. You know, bugs and all that stuff can eat the crops. Um, then you got to transport the stuff, you know, et cetera. What are some of the trade-offs of vertical farming? I mean, it sounds like you have to buy specialized bulbs. You have to have controlled environments. You, know, you may not have pests. But again, I would bet that there's expenses that aren't associated with outdoor farming. Correct. Correct. So, yeah, no, you're, you're right. So, so uh, a vertical farming is, is, is a very potent and, and capable way of farming, but it's also... Uh, not the cheapest way to farm. The installation costs money to build. The, the so you need to invest in the facility. You need to put in the racking. You need to put in the lights and, and all the other equipment. Um, there. Uh, so so the, that is basically the, the, the trade off is if you want to grow something that is uh, fresher and, 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 and that doesn't keep for very long, then it's uh, then it that does make sense to consider vertical farming. If it's a crop that you can store for a long period of time. Then you might as well grow it in a different way, more traditionally, and, uh, and and use it that way. So the typical crops that you would find in a vertical farm are uh, herbs and cresses or, or leafy greens, mm. uh, but not as much stuff like uh, rice and potatoes because those are much easier uh, grown in the field. Well, I've um, I've studied this a little bit. I've just had a personal interest in it, and I didn't realize you know certain uh, you know foods take years to grow. Like I think asparagus take three years to get a crop and you know, fruit trees and nuts and, and all that stuff, right. you know, I don't know how you do that indoors, but 
I mean, some of them, there's no way you know of, of uh, fast-tracking some of these plants to make them grow faster, right? Uh, well, there, there are some interesting things being done for which also vertical farming can be of help, but in principle, you're right. So some crops just take a long time to grow, especially if you will need to grow a tree first, for instance. That, that, that does not make economic sense at this point. Uh, what you can do for crops like that is you can try to accelerate the breeding process. So what you can do is you can grow young plants, then you can evaluate them really quickly and then see which have the desired uh, characteristics. Mm. And that allows you to, to, to go faster. So actually, I have seen some very interesting applications for vertical farming where you can allow that improvement process to go faster. Uh, but in all honesty, for, for growing the vegetables and, and the crop itself, typically you're looking at, the, at, at those crops that grow a little bit faster which you can grow in, in, in a couple of weeks or months. Yeah, like lettuce, radishes, like you said, leafy Correct. greens so, so that don't have to flower and, you know, produce fruit and all that stuff. Like there's no fruiting bodies, right? Right. Although fruits also can be done. Um, uh, the, the Something that a lot of people are looking at is, is versus strawberries. Strawberries, of course, also have a fairly uh, short season in the sense that they grow fairly quickly. Hmm. Uh, you do need, to, there's, a, there's a flower there, which need, does need to be... Uh, 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 Oh, what's the word there in English? Um, pollinated. So there are the strawberries have flowers, they need to be pollinated. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that can be done indoors. Um, the, um, and, and a lot of people are also looking at optimizing the way of growing so that you get the, the, the best tasting strawberries possible. And uh, there's some, some good research being done there. And that looks like it can be done physically. But you're right, in most instances, it would be uh, leafy greens and, and herbs and then that, that kind of crops that are. Uh, first of all, you want to eat them as fresh as possible, so you don't yeah. want to wait five or six days before you get them from California or wherever you may live. Um, and uh, that are also then, then the tastiest and, 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 and I would eat to say the healthiest. Hmm, interesting. Okay. What about the uh, the character and the quality of the light? You, know, you have to use uh, specific bulbs that have certain color temperatures and ranges and all that. Uh, you know, how would you characterize them versus sunlight? I mean, they can be left on. Uh, more than, you know, the norm, you know, if it's a cloudy day, they could be left on. There is no cloudy days inside, but how good are they at growing stuff versus outside sunlight? Uh, they're, they're actually pretty good at that. There's, there's a fair amount of research being done and has, has already been done in terms of understanding how light affects photosynthesis and therefore the growth of plants. Uh, so there's actually a, a good body of knowledge there. I would even say academic knowledge. So there, there's a lot of universities looking into this. And they... What they have determined is that it is possible to, to, to optimize the light or to, to adjust the light, I would say, for, for, for the growth process of the plant. And that by changing the light, you can also drive growth of the plant towards a certain outcome. So you can change taste or color or appearance by changing also what's called the light recipe. Hmm. Um, so the, the, the light does matter. Uh, and on the other hand, the, the, the most important part is that there is enough of it. So the, the, the first challenge is to make sure you get enough light that comes from a good, uh, good source. And right now you would say that, that LEDs are the, the, the lighting source of choice. Uh, and second, you can then, if you want, dig a little bit deeper and see how you can optimize the LED light for the results you want. What about LEDs, uh, you can also take, well, sorry about that, but you can also take an arbitrary day length if you want. So you can actually, you know, turn the lights on for like 18 hours a day. And then, then that, of course, will also make the plants grow faster. Yeah, in a controlled environment, I would guess you'd use various forms of maybe hydroponics and different light cycles and, you know, different humidity and carbon dioxide. And I bet you probably learn a lot from marijuana growers because they've tried to optimize the growth of their crop indoors for a long time, you know. Absolutely. So, uh, so, so yes, first of all, it, it's, uh, well, what, what we would call a growth recipe is a 
is a balance between the amount of light, the amount of, of irrigation, the humidity, the temperature, CO2 levels, and whatever whatever you might want to adjust. Um, so so those, uh, uh, those those recipes are being researched and, and, and a lot is being learned. I, I would say that a lot of indeed a lot of knowledge comes from the marijuana industry, uh, where you can see, especially also North America, where, where of course uh, a lot has been done in recent years to to legalize marijuana. That that would be uh, what I would consider one of the, the killer applications for vertical farming. Yeah, I mean, I guess there's a lot of lessons learned because you know that industry or those people pretty much had to grow indoors a lot of them and keep it, you know, make it work fast to maximize their yield, et cetera. So what, um, yeah. what are some interesting things that you've seen done with vertical indoor farming that, you know, uh, accelerate growth rate and how much of an acceleration have you seen, you know, uh, any lighting tricks, any, you know, hydroponic techniques, flood and drain versus, right. you know, cascades or floating um, ponds, that kind of thing. Right. Uh, Basically, the, the toolbox is, is like you described. So there is, there is you, you can increase temperature, you can increase light levels, you can look at, at various uh, growing systems, whether it's floating or it's in, in, in rock wool or it would be in, in, in NFT gutters or whatever. And so a lot of people are looking at the, into that, and you can see that uh, the research and, and the results are there. So um, lettuce is, I think, a, a good uh, representative crop. I think in the best possible circumstances outdoors, you can probably grow head of lettuce in about 60 days. Um, I've seen reports uh, of that being done in a vertical farm in, in 35 days or less. So and, and, and that is being done by uh, making sure that the, the, there is plenty of light, of course, that, the, that the, also the plants are never stressed too much because mm. too much light can also uh, reduce growth. So the, 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 there's a lot of optimization going on there yeah. in terms of light levels and everything else. Um, so that, that, that's very interesting things that are happening in terms of maximizing yield and getting, getting therefore, more produce out of the farm. Uh, conversely, also a lot of work has been done in, in maximizing or optimizing taste, if you will, because it is it is possible by changing the, the recipe to also drive the the, the, the taste profile. And uh, in most vertical farms, you get very very positive results in terms of uh, the quality and the taste of the vegetables that are being grown there. Hmm. Okay. What about uh, costs? You know, a vertical farm done right. You know, whatever that means, the best practices. What is the cost of uh, a head of lettuce, you know, versus one that uh, you grow traditionally? Are you seeing it's cheaper, it's more expensive? Uh, you know, what do you see going on? Right. Uh, I'd say right now it's definitely still more expensive. Uh, that is also to be expected for a new technology that's being implemented. So right now you, you'd say that's clearly uh, a, a very a, a crop going in a head of lettuce coming from a vertical farm will be an excellent head of lettuce, very fresh and very tasty, but it will also be significantly more expensive. I would say it ranks up there with, with other ways of, say, organic or local farming. Um, so that's, that's kind of the comparison I think I'd, I'd make. And if you, and it also meets the quality criteria for, for, for that type of produce, so it, it, it can be done in, in a good way in, in that part of the segment. Over time, uh, we do see that there's a lot of work being done by the equipment companies, by the uh, people growing, to, to drive those efficiencies better and, and to make sure that you also get a lower cost you know, of the final product. So over time, I do expect that to reduce to uh, maybe still at a premium, but a lower premium than it is today. Okay. Yeah, very good. Um, so what do you see the need for the association for that you're, you've started? You know, what are the problems that vertical farming uh, – companies have why do they need an institute to help them and you know what do they need do they need to lobby i mean what what's the deal yeah 
Well, for the, the, basically, it's, it's, it's with, like with any industry, in any young industry, that people are figuring out what's happening, what's what, how, where, where the best practices, how are things happening, uh, can, be, can they be done in the best way possible. A um, couple of examples is that um, uh, if you look at the technology side of things, uh, companies are working on different ways of solving the problem. And sometimes it's not easy to figure out which, what companies are actually doing and how to compare them properly. So if you can define some standards for, for what a good farm should look like or what, 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 what parts of the farm should perform like, then you can make also an objective comparison, which is something actually that would, would in the end help any, everybody that's active. Similarly, um, this way of farming is a uh, high-tech way of farming that requires a different approach and a different knowledge body, I would say, than traditional farming farming does uh, so basically you need to do a little bit of engineering and a little bit of farming at the same time so there we're also looking for those schools and institutes that have the right kind of training to help the, those farmers of the future be efficient and effective uh, also with a lot of new uh, entrants coming into the market which are entrepreneurs coming from a different walk of life that are getting into vertical farming because they they, they see the, 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 the potential and, and, and mm. like to be part of it but also still need to uh, you know learn a lot of the tricks of the trade and finally, um, if you're going to build a farm in 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 an urban environment, in, in you know in, in, in some sort of uh, production hall or whatever, yeah, you're going to need to deal with building codes, local reg- local regulations, and there you are seeing that everybody's still coming to terms with the um, the challenges of, of doing farming in an urban environment. That's not something we thought about. We don't have the rules for that, so we'll need to deal with that in building codes and, and what have you. Uh, and 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 other forms of government uh, support or control that are, that may be present for farming in different parts of the world. Uh, so that's something where we see we can play a role on behalf of the industry, and where we can probably be much more effective in organizing that than individual companies can be, because we can actually speak on behalf of the whole industry. Where do you see the need for vertical farms in, in um, like food deserts and you know poor urban areas, or is it in countries where it's really arid like Saudi Arabia or you know what are some of the top places that really could use vertical farms and why um, actually there's, there's a bunch of potential application areas um, uh, one of them is actually to make sure that you are if you're in extended urban areas that you actually have fresh food that gets into the, in, into those areas so you can call them food deserts of sorts but I'm thinking equally about uh, the inner city in the United States and, 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 and a city that is like billions of people large or millions of people are in China. Uh, so getting maybe provi- providing people access to free, uh, not free, but to good and healthy food. Mm. Um, but also there are strategic obje- objectives for some countries, like Singapore is a small country that has very little, um, has very little physical space to grow plants. They have defined it as a strategic objective for the country to actually be better at indoor and closed environment agriculture because of that. Mm. Uh, definitely in, in, in desert countries like the, the United Arab Emirates or, or Saudi Arabia, the places like that, you do, you do see that there's a lot of interest in investing in vertical farming because there is not, nothing else that really works there. Yeah. Same goes for, for polar regions, uh, so that's also a type of desert uh, up north. Mm. Uh, or even in, in Antarctica, there's a, there's a few vertical farms also in operation in, the, in, in Antarctica to support mm. the people that are doing their work there. Um, oh, wow. And but also you see you see um, farms being done especially because of the food that can be grown there. So there's a number of farms that are active in cities around the world, and there's a few in New York. I know one in Amsterdam. There's more that actually grow food specifically for the for for the restaurant business, the high end restaurant business, because they can grow stuff that you cannot get normally. Right. There's no, I guess, season, and you know if you have to get, I don't know, 
something from Chile or, you know, I don't know, from, uh, from Australia, because it's only there in a certain season, it's not here in the U.S., then you can do that with an indoor farm. It doesn't need to be transported. And again, there's no real right. season, right? And then, so seasons, of course, you, you take out of the equation, so you can do the same crop every every day of the year mm. with a very high degree of predictability. And uh, and, and as I said, you, you can also almost grow it to order in, in the sense that you can you can look at the size and the taste profile that you, that you prefer. Mm. Very interesting. Okay. What kind of um, buildings seem to be uh, the most conducive for vertical farms? I mean, you know, greenhouses, I guess, are maybe the original vertical farm. Because it's indoors, but it still uses sunlight. Or are these just in, yes. in buildings with no sunlight and it's all LEDs and you know they're like dungeons well, with uh, you know, with plants in them? But basically, you see two 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 base forms of, of controlled indoor farming. I would say it's, it's a greenhouse where you still have, of course, it's, it's a glass house, so you have sunlight coming through. And otherwise, the environment is is conditioned as best as possible. Um, that doesn't really allow for vertical stacking of layers. So that basically is typically a one-layer situation. Uh, a vertical farm would be more in um, in, 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 in a uh, logistics building or whatever, a, a, a larger building that is probably 30 feet high or something, uh, and where you can actually stack multiple layers on top of each other. Mm. In, in that kind of situation, you actually try to avoid daylight coming in because the maximum control is there if you can also define the light that is in, in that environment. Uh, and I'm pretty sure also as, as we continue to develop the market, there will be some hybrid solutions as well, where there's some daylight and some artificial light. Um, obviously, uh, in greenhouses already, there's the, the combination is being used in many places in the world. Uh, in the Netherlands, where I'm based, uh, the greenhouse industry actually uses a lot of artificial light because we're fairly far up north, and, and especially in the wintertime, uh, you need that additional light to make crops grow. Okay. Any um, really cool innovations you're seeing in the vertical farming industry? I'm sure there's a lot going on, but what have you seen that's um, yeah. like um, you think is really going to make a big difference? Well, there's a couple of things that are interesting that are happening. Uh, first of all, I think uh, the, the the lighting industry is really uh, picking up on the opportunity and seeing what's out, what's possible there, and then driving LEDs to become more efficient and better suited for farming for growing plants. So they're, they're doing work in creating better lights, more efficient lights, and lights to provide the right kind of wavelengths and, and, and spectrum for mm. plants to grow really well. Uh, and as because that's also a very competitive market, you're also seeing that that is driving the, 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 the development of the, of the investment in, in the right direction. So you see that those lights are becoming more affordable, uh, which is really helping the business cases for global farmers. In parallel to that, the, there's a lot of work being done in properly integrating the elements that you need to, to, to build a farm. So you, there's lighting, there's climate control, there's irrigation, there's logistics, there you need some sort of an operating system and, and of course, tunnel sensors. Those all need to be integrated. And the original or the early uh, experiment and the farms that have been built, really, you know, more of a patchwork of available elements that have been put together and combined to, to make something that works, mm. to work. Uh, but there, you do see there's a lot of opportunity there to go in for further integration to make those systems more efficient and also to make them more, I would say, uh, repeatable and scalable so that you can get modular structures that are a lot more cost-efficient than what you've seen today. Uh, so there I see a lot of stuff happening. On the other side, also very exciting, uh, the, the seed industry is really uh, picking up on the opportunity as well. So, And this is not for engineering seeds, but the, there is a lot of seed uh, development happening by uh, trial and error, I would almost say. 
And uh, you, we are seeing that for vertical farming, you need different types of seed that you would need outdoors. For instance, you don't need climate resistance or disease resistance, but uh, we do want something that tastes really nice or that looks really nice. So a lot of the seed companies now looking in their files what seeds they might have had in the past or they still might have available now that may not be so suitable for other growing, but do really, really well indoor. And that combination of the right seeds with the right technology in the end is going to make a lot of difference in, in, in the things we can eat, grow, and, and, and play with as for our food, uh, which I think is going to be very, very exciting in the coming years. Do you think that um, <clears throat> vertical farms, since they can only grow certain things right now, do you think that's going to result in like a narrowing of available choice in what we can get in terms of fruits and vegetables? Or is that better than just not having it, period? I wouldn't. I wouldn't say so. I mean, you, you're gonna you're gonna have the same selection, or probably a better selection than you've had before. Not everything will be coming from vertical farms, but that's also not needed. Uh, what you, what I do expect for vertical farms that they, there there'll be a wide selection of a lot of of of, 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 of uh, types of vegetables that you probably don't, don't even know yet uh, that can be grown effectively and efficiently in a vertical farm, and therefore will be made available to people much easier than they are now. Hmm. Um, and what uh, I also think vertical farms will become more cost efficient and therefore they can grow more so uh, also right now already uh, a lot of staple vegetables that, that people it, it, apart from, from, from lettuce and, 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 and uh, other leafy greens also things like cucumbers and bell peppers and tomatoes they are now grown to a large extent in, in, uh, in greenhouses that will accelerate and continue to grow but also some of that will go into vertical farms, so to say, without daylight, uh, to also provide interesting varieties that have interesting color, taste, and, and freshness that you, you normally wouldn't be able to get. So mm. I think that will actually expand selection and, and, and uh, availability to people. And on the other hand, of course, uh, there are also crops, like I mentioned earlier, that you probably will not see happening in a vertical farm, but they'll still be available, but they'll, they will be grown in more traditional ways. Have you seen integrations, you know, like aquaculture, where you have, uh, you know, plants growing in like a hydroponic system and that, that they're, the liquid that feeds them, you know, goes into a fish tank where fish are growing and, you know, their effluent goes back into the plants and maybe you take the moisture and also grow mushrooms in the same area. Have you seen like big time integrations of that? Absolutely. Uh, there's a couple of very interesting uh, uh, efforts in, in, to that end and happening in, in various scales. So there's a, a number of farmers that are doing aquaponics. So, so they combine fish farming with lettuce farming or other plant, types of plant farming. Uh, that is um, uh, very interesting. It, it, it also works. It, it, it does require additional uh, effort on the part of the growers because mm. they, they, you'll need to optimize your fish farm and you'll need to optimize your plant farm. And getting the two right is not easy, but a lot of work is being done there. Uh, and indeed, there is also uh, some good work being done in even more, say, circular type growing environments. Uh, a good example there is, is the plant in Chicago, where you see all kinds of different efforts being done in, in, in the same location, where one feeds up what the other, the, the waste of the other, and trying to, to, to create that, that, that into a full circular um, uh, growing uh, environment. Mm. I'd say that um, in in in, in most of what I'm seeing, though, is still people working hard to get at least one aspect of it really right and making sure that that also results in a working and, and solid business case. Uh, that's not always straightforward. So that, that's where, where I see most of everything going right now, making sure that you do really well grown plants or really well grown fish. Mm. And uh, then that combination is, 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 is being worked on, but it's, it's still a little bit harder, I think.
And maybe, yeah. and, and I'm sure other people that, that listen to this will say, no, no, I, I've got it right. And I'd love to talk to these people. But it's uh, that, that's sort of what I see from my personal experience. What about um, in all this knowledge? I mean, I, I've actually spent some time learning about all this stuff and going to, you know, shops and talking to people. And it, it took me a while to learn all this stuff. How widespread do you think the knowledge is to do these things effectively, you know, to choose the right LEDs, the right hydroponic systems, you know, whether to do aquaponics, the growing medium. I mean, it, it seems like that knowledge is hard to get, at least it was for me, but do you see that? Do you see that right. needs to be a major initiative to help spread um, it? Actually, I think and that's also one of the core activities of the association to, to help spread that knowledge. So you do see that it, it is possible to, to get access to this knowledge, but it's, it's not widespread and it's not easy. Uh, it, there's also some geographic di differences there. Um, uh, again, as I said, I'm based in the Netherlands. And over here, there's a, a very solid uh, growing uh, knowledge available from, from schools and from farmers, which makes it a little bit easier to, to train people also for this type of farming. Uh, but in other places of the world, that's not the case. Uh, there are, fortunately, a, a good number of online resources that people can use and go to to, to at least get, get basic training. But something that the association is also working on is making available such training in, in a nice and, and easy, accessible formats for people, even novices, to the market, that they can at least understand what it takes to grow and, and also what it takes to run a fresh food business, which is different from growing another type of business. And mm. so that's definitely something where we see that there's a role to be played and, and an infrastructure to be built up. Mm. Okay. Well, very good. Um, what's the best way for people to learn more about you know all the stuff that we talked about, maybe to go see a vertical farm or a rooftop farm or you know something where where people are doing farming in an urban or controlled environment. What do you recommend right. that people do? Well, uh, there, there there are a good number of, of websites devoted to, to the topic. When the, I guess you, you could probably go and look at for yourself. Uh, what I would suggest also people to take a look at our website, which is uh, www.vertical-farming.net, vertical-farming.net, mm -hmm. uh, which is the website for the association, uh, where we're trying to also combine a lot of these links and information about where what can be seen. Uh, we can also potentially facilitate people wanting to visit a farm uh, and, and point people the right way if they have questions. Um, uh, and other than that, I, there's many places, there are uh, events being organized, uh, there are maybe local farms that that have uh, that open their doors to people now and again, and it definitely, what I found is most people are active in this new uh, and very exciting industry are very happy to talk about what they're doing. So that, that would also be a good way to, to, to learn. Well, very good. Well, Gus, thanks for coming on, and this is, uh, this is super interesting stuff. I really appreciate your time. Thank you very much. Happy to be here, and... Uh, Again, if there's anything else, people, uh, the, please come to our website, take a look, and then feel free to send us an email. You have been listening to Almost Here, Around the Corner Future Technology Podcast with Richard Jacobs. Subscribe to this podcast, post a review, to discover more future technologies that are poised to transform our lives for better or worse, such as Bitcoin, artificial intelligence, 3D printing, blockchain, virtual reality, and more.